When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, just yesterday, I was talking about uh, how former Navy fighter pilot Ryan Graves was uh, expressing concerns about the uh, the inaction of the Pentagon and trying to figure out what kind of objects Navy pilots are encountering on a regular basis. He described one of the objects as a, a, a dark cube inside of a clear sphere, um, and they encounter these things, you know, hundreds of miles, you know, offshore. Uh, but, you know, last night I was on Twitter and uh, I saw some old newspaper clippings that were uh, posted by a Twitter user named UFOB Reddit. I will leave the link uh, to this uh, uh, Twitter post that he left yesterday. And uh, it was very interesting. It was uh, uh, something I never heard of before. It was an incident that happened in uh, July of 1947. I guess when I'm reading this last night, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you know, you forget, you know, this has been going on for a long time. And, you know, you know, a lot of the people, a lot of debunkers today, all they'll, they'll say, well, these objects they're seeing, they must be drones or, you know, some sort of uh, enemy craft or something uh, that we don't know about. Uh, you know, th- it, that's impossible. This is th- this kind of thing has been going on for decades, since the 40s. You know, actually, since uh, World War Two, we really became aware of it when a lot of uh, pilots uh, on both sides of the uh, uh, of the war saw uh, Foo Fighters, you know, strange objects floating around, following their 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 aircraft. I mean, their airplanes. But you know, this has been going on a long time. And in 1947, starting in June 1947, a lot of people start seeing flying saucers. And here, you know, and and on top of that, uh, you know, with the pilots, commercial pilots, uh, military pilots, for all these years, have been you know, dealing with these, almost wrecking into them, right? And actually, this case here, somebody did wreck into one. Anyway, this is, uh, there's two little uh, pieces that he put on here, uh, UFOB Reddit. Uh, it, it was a, There was one little article from the uh, United Press and also another one from the Associated Press. And these, these this story was uh, international news for, for a little while. And this happened. This was on. This happened on July seventh, nineteen forty-seven. Which, by the way, if, as uh, many of you will realize, that was the same week that the uh, uh, Roswell uh, flying saucer was uh, crashed. You know, so that was the same period of time. So a lot of people were seeing UFOs all over the place at the time. The, the Roswell story actually did not break yet. That didn't break until July eighth, and then it was quickly covered up. But on July seventh, this is what happened. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll actually, again, I'll leave the links for these two little articles, but this is very interesting. Uh, the one article from the from the UP, uh, United Press, uh, has the headline, Flying Saucer Hit Plane, Pilot Says. A pilot reported today, and this happened, in, uh, by the way, in Bozeman, Montana. A pilot reported today that his plane knocked down a flying saucer, which he described as a pearl gray clam-shaped airplane with a plexiglass dome on top. The pilot said the object, which he called a flying yo-yo, crashed in the Tobacco Root Mountains in western Montana yesterday after being torn to pieces by the prop wash of his plane. The prop wash of a plane would be the, the section right behind the propeller 
where there's like a, a you know the air the, the the force of air from the, that's being made by the propeller so what this guy is saying is that uh one of these objects came close to his plane and then uh uh, broke apart be when it got close to the prop wash to the to the to the rush of air coming off his propeller in the front of the plane Fer uh, vernon baird los angeles pilot for the fairchild photometric engineer company said he tangled with the yo-yo while flying a p-38 for the firm the company is map mapping the area between helena and yellowstone park for the Recle Recle uh, reclamation bureau he said that as the curious craft overhauled his p-38 he took evasive action Quote, the yo-yo got caught in my prop wash and the thing came apart like a clamshell, he said. He said that after the yo-yo fell apart, he looked around and saw several of them darting around like a batch of molecules doing the rumba. He said he was too busy handling his plane to notice if there was a man inside the gadget. And then this other article uh, from the Associated Press states, Casey Baird, pilot of a P-38 pursuit plane, working for a United States survey, reported Sunday he was forced to evade a group of flying discs and that his photographer tried to get a picture. Baird said the film would be developed Monday. Now, of course, I, I don't think I've ever, this film has ever surfaced. Uh, maybe the government took control of it back then, but I don't think there's any uh, information out there that says what happened to this film. Anyway, continuing, it says, the pilot said he ran into the flying objects at 32,000 feet and had to dodge out of their path while trying to photograph them. He said, <clears throat> he said there were eight or nine in the group. Baird described the flying objects as looking like yo-yos with a periscope or dome-like object on top. He said that they were 14 or 15 feet in diameter and traveling, traveling rapidly. So you see right there, 1947, uh, people are, are, are seeing, pilots are seeing, you know, you know, almost crashing into these things, apparently. Uh, you know, these weird objects uh clam-shaped objects obviously this isn't something that's man-made obviously it's extraterrestrial um but there was more than that there was all kinds of uh uh in, in 19 in the early 40s you know the air force was dealing with many incidents and actually in 1948 there was a very famous incident that maybe some of you have heard about called the mantel ufo incident and there's actually a really a pretty good uh uh, article on this in Wikipedia, and I'm going to use that for this, uh, for for some of it anyhow. Um, and actually, there was somebody who got killed, uh, 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 an Air Force uh, captain, uh, excuse me, uh, National Guard pilot named uh, Philip uh, Thomas Mantel, uh, basically chased after one of uh, a, a UFO uh, that he described as was as being pretty big. And uh, he went too high and he, he uh, passed out, you know, because he went too high chasing it. All right. It says uh, here in this in uh, regarding the incident in Wikipedia, it says on January 7th, 1948, Godman Army Airfield at Fort Knox, Kentucky, received a report from the Kentucky Highway Patrol of an unusual aerial object near Madisonville. Reports of a westbound circular object 250 to 350 feet in diameter were, were received from Owensboro and Irvington. At about 1.45 p.m., Sergeant Quinton, Quinton Blackwell saw an object from his position in the control tower at Fort Knox. Two other witnesses in the tower also reported a white object in the distance. Colonel Guy Hicks, the base commander, reported an object he described as very white 
and uh, about one-fourth the size of the full moon. Through binoculars, it appeared to have a red border at the bottom. It remained stationary, seemingly, for one and a half hours. Observers at Clinton County Army Airfield in Ohio described the object as having the appearance of a flaming red cone trailing a gaseous green mist and observed the object for about 35 minutes. Another observer at Lockbourne Army Airfield in Ohio noted, just before leaving, it came to very near the ground, staying down for about 10 seconds, then climbed at a very fast rate back to its original altitude 10,000 feet leveling off and disappearing into the overcast heading 120 degrees its speed was greater than 500 miles per hour in level flight four f-51d mustangs of sea flight the 165th fighter squadron kentucky national air national guard one piloted by captain thomas mantell were already in the air and told to approach the object blackwell was in radio communication with the pilots throughout the event one pilot's Mustang was low on fuel, and he quickly returned to base. The other two pilots accompanied, Matt, accompanied Mantell to steep pursuit of the object. They later reported they saw an object but described it as so small and indistinct that they could not identify it. Mantell ignored suggestions that the pilots should level their altitude and try to more clearly see the object. Uh, Edward Ruppelt, who was... Uh, uh, he, he's, he, at the time he was the, an air force captain and the, the first head of project blue book. He, uh, he actually later reported that, uh, um, he noted that there were some, there was some disagreement amongst the air traffic controllers as to Mantell's words as he communicated with the tower. Some sources reported that Mantell had described an object which looks metallic and of tremendous size, but according to Rupelt, others disputed whether or not Mantell actually said this. Only one of Mantell's wingmen, Lieutenant Albert Clements, had an oxygen mass, and his oxygen was in low supply. Clements and the third pilot, Lieutenant Hammond, called off to pursuit at 22,500 feet. However, Mantell con continued to climb. According to the United States Air Force, once Mantell passed 25,000 feet, he blacked out from lack of oxygen, and his plane began spiraling back towards the gr ground. A witness later reported Mantell's Mustang in a circling descent. His plane crashed on a farm south of Franklin on Kentucky's border with Tennessee. Firemen later pulled Mantell's body from the wreckage. His seatbelt was shredded, and his wristwatch had stopped at 3.18 p.m., the time of his crash. Meanwhile, by 3.50 p.m., the UFO was no longer visible to observers at Godman Army Airfield. The Mantell incident was reported by newspapers around the nation and received significant press attention. A number of sensational rumors were also circulated about the crash. According to UFO historian Curtis Peebles, among the rumors were claims that the flying saucer was a Soviet missile. It was an alien spacecraft that shot down Mantell's fighter when it, was, when it got too close. Captain Mantell's body was found riddled with bullets. The body was missing. The plane was completely disintegrated in the air, and the wreckage was radioactive. None of that was true, of course. <clears throat> However, no evidence has ever surfaced to substantiate any of these claims. An Air Force investigation specifically refuted some claims, such as the supposedly radioactive wreckage. Ruppelt wrote that, I had always heard a lot of wild speculation about the condition of Mantell's crashed F-51, so I wired for a copy of the accident report. It said that Mantell's body had not burned, not disintegrated, and was not full of holes. The wreck was not radioactive, nor was it, ma nor, nor was it magnetized. Mantell was the first member of the Kentucky Air National Guard to die in flight. According to John Trowbridge, a historian of the Kentucky National Guard, 
There is a real X-Files twist to this, too. Mantell lived almost his entire life in Louisville, but he was born in a hospital in Franklin, only a few miles from where he was killed. The Mantell crash was investigated by Project Sign, uh, the first Air Force research group assigned to investigate UFO reports. Of course, Project Sign turned into Project Grudge and then uh, eventually Project Blue Book. But anyway, continuing. One writer noted that the people on Project Sign worked fast on the Mantell incident. Contemplating a flood of queries from the press as soon as they heard about the crash, they realized that they had to get an, a quick answer. Venus had been the target of a chase by an Air Force F-51 several weeks before, and there were similarities between this sighting and the Mantell incident. So the word Venus went out. Mantell had unfortunately been killed trying to reach the planet Venus. An Air Force major who was interviewed by several reporters following Mantell's crash flatly stated that it was Venus. Yeah, so they're, they're saying it was Venus at the time. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, chasing uh, Venus uh, by accident. Uh, yeah, it's uh, tragic. Uh, next question. Anyway, continuing. In 1952, United States Air Force Captain Edward Ruppelt, the supervisor of Project Blue Book, Project Science Successor, was ordered to reinvestigate the Mantell incident. Ruppelt <clears throat> Rupelt spoke with Rupel spoke with Dr. J. Allen Hynek, an astronomer at Ohio State University and scientific consultant for to Project Sign and Project Blue Book. Hynek had supplied Project Sign with the Venus explanation in 1948, mainly because Venus had been in the same place in the sky that Mantell's UFO was observed. However, by 1952, Dr. Hynek had concluded that the Venus explanation was incorrect because Venus wasn't bright enough to be seen by Mantell and the other witnesses, and because a considerable haze was present that would have further obscured the planet in the sky. Ruppelt also noted Dr. Hynek's statement that Venus, even if visible, would have been a pinpoint of light, but that eyewitness descriptions plainly indicated a large object. None of the descriptions could even vaguely be called a pinpoint of light. So then it comes up with a new explanation. Guess what it is? You won't believe it. A balloon. Having rejected the Venus explanation, Ruppelt began to research other explanations for the Mantell incident. He was particularly interested in a suggestion by Dr. Hynek that Mantell could have misidentified a United States Navy skyhook weather balloon. In Madisonville, the object was seen through a telescope and identified as a balloon by one observer. Additionally, between 4.30 and 4.45 p.m., an astronomer at Vanderbilt University watched an object in the sky viewed through binoculars. He said it was pear a pear-shaped balloon with cables and a basket attached. However, others disputed this idea, noting that no particular skyhook balloon could be conclusively identified as being in the area in question during Mantell's pursuit. Despite this objection, Ruppelt thought the skyhook explanation was plausible. The balloons were a secret Navy project at the time of the crash, were made of reflective aluminum, and were about 100 feet in diameter, consistent with the description of the UFO as large, metallic, and cone-shaped. Since the skyhook balloons were secret at the time, neither Mantell nor the other observers in the control tower would have been able to identify the UFO as a skyhook, but this was never proved, as Ruppelt wrote. Somewhere in the archives of the Air Force or the Navy, there are records that will show whether or not a balloon was launched from Clinton County Air Force Base, Ohio, on January 7, 1948. I never could find these records. People who were working with the early skyhook projects remember operating out of Clinton County Air Force Base in 1947, but... Refused to be pinned down to a January 7th flight. Maybe, they said. The Mantell incident is the same old UFO jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, so again, like they try to say it's a skyhook balloon. Yeah, it's, uh, 
uh, balloon, secret, uh, top secret project, uh, Skyhook. Yeah, that, that's what it was. Yeah, it wasn't. We made a mistake when we said Venus. Uh, Sky, Operation Skyhook, balloon. And, and, and they said this back then, even when there was other witnesses that said the thing came down to the ground and went back up again. What are they talking about? That's not a balloon. Uh, well, see, that's, I mean, that's, you know, this is, again, the, again over all the years, or you even have this, the same, uh, you know, denying, you know, you know, pretending it's something else when it's, you know, first you're saying it's a planet Venus, then, you know, four years later, you come back and say, no, it wasn't Venus, you know, it was uh, Balloon. Yeah, Balloon. Apparently, Mantell was chasing after some UFO. He went too high in his plane. He, you know, he became unconscious and he crashed the plane and died that's what happened but there was a ufo there was multiple witnesses to it before he went chasing after it so but again they try to say it's something else why i don't know like why just you know the, the fact is it's a tragedy in of itself but the guy was chasing around a ufo there were many people on the ground in the towers that were seen at different air force bases and yet you know they're trying to first they try to say oh it was planet venus so even when you think about that one, right? Okay, it's Planet Venus. You, you, there were people that actually, before he even came on the scene, before Mantell and the other pilots were chasing after this object, there were people that observed the object standing still in the sky for over an hour, for an hour and a half. The one and one of the witnesses said the thing came down and then shot back up again. So what are they talking about? You know, Venus. Venus doesn't. What did Venus come all the way to Earth and then fly back up into space again? For so that that explanation was bogus from the start and then they they realize how bogus it is over time and then they change it right and uh to yeah it's a balloon yeah top secret project Uh, nobody would have known about it that's why you know yeah okay and then finally we're going to talk about one other incident that happened in october of 1948 the gorman dogfight and again this i'm going to use this uh wikipedia article about it <clears throat> Although he was only 25 years old when the incident, occur- incident occurred, George F. Gordman was a veteran fighter pilot of World War II. After the war, he became the manager of a construction company. He also served as a, as a second lieutenant in the North D- Dakota National Guard. On October 1st, 1948, Gorman was practicing in a co- cross-country flight with other National Guard pilots. He was flying a PF, uh, P-51 Mustang. His flight arrived over Fargo at approximately 8.30 p.m. Although the other pilots decided to land at Fargo's Hector Airport, Gorman decided to take advantage of the clear, cloudless conditions and get in some sightseeing, uh, uh, night flying time, staying aloft. Around 9 p.m., he flew over a stadium where a high school football game was being held. Gorman noticed a small Piper Cub plane flying some 500 feet below him. Otherwise, the skies appeared clear. Shortly after he noticed the Piper Cub, Gorman saw another object to his west. When he looked for the outline of a wing or fuselage, he could see none. This contrasted with the Piper Cub, whose outline was clearly visible. The object appeared to be a blinking light. At 9.07 p.m., Gorman contacted the control tower at Hector Airport and asked if he had any air traffic in the area other than his P-51 and the Piper Cub. The tower answered that it did not, and it contacted the Piper Cub pilot. Dr. A.D. Cannon. Cannon and his passenger answered that they could also see a lighted object to the west. Gorman told the tower that he was going to pursue the object to determine its identity. He moved his Mustang to full power, which was 350 to 400 miles per hour, but soon realized that the object was going too fast for him to catch it in a straight run. Instead, he tried cutting the object off by turns. 
Gorman made a right turn and approached the object head-on at 5,000 feet. The object flew over his plane at a distance of about 500 feet. Gorman described the object as a simple ball of light about 6 to 8 inches in diameter. He also noted later that when the object increased its speed, it stopped blinking and grew brighter. After his near collision, Gorman lost sight of the object. When he saw it again, it appeared to have made a 180-degree turn and was coming at him again. The object then made a sudden vertical climb. Gorman followed the object in his own steep climb. At 14,000 feet, his P-51 stalled. The object was still 2,000 feet above him. Gorman made two further attempts to get closer to the object with no success. It seemed to make another head-on pass but broke off before coming close to his fighter. By this point, the object had moved over Hector Airport, in the control tower, the air traffic control, controller, L.D. Jensen, viewed the object through binoculars but could see no form or shape around the light. He was joined by Dr. Cannon and his passenger from the Piper Cub. They, they had landed and walked to the control tower to get a better view of the object. Gorman continued to follow, follow the object until it was approximately 25 miles southwest of Fargo. At 14,000 feet, he observed the light at 11,000 feet. He then dived on the object at full power. However, the object made a vertical climb. He tried to pursue, but watched as the object passed out of visual range. At this point, he broke off the chase. It was 9.27 p.m. Gorman flew back to Hector Airport. Now, later on, on October 23rd, Gorman gave a sworn statement to investigators. This is what he said. I am convinced that there was definite thought behind its maneuvers. I am further convinced that the object was governed by the laws of inertia because its acceleration was rapid but not immediate, and although it was able to turn fairly tight at considerable speed, it still followed a natural curve. When I attempted to turn with the object, I blacked out temporarily due to excessive speed. I am in fairly good physical condition, and I do not believe that there are many, if any, pilots who could withstand the turn and speed affected by the object and remain conscious. The object was not only able to outturn and outspeed my aircraft, but was able to attain a far steeper climb and was able to maintain a constant rate of speed far in excess of my aircraft. Now, of course... There was uh, an Air Force investigation, and uh, uh, they came up with some theories. Um, and I can tell you, those theories had nothing to do with extraterrestrials, as you may have uh, uh, figured out. Anyway, within a few hours, military officers from Project Sign arrived to interview Gorman, Dr. Cannon, his passenger, and the control tower personnel at Hector Airport. The officers also checked Gorman's P-51 Mustang with a Geiger counter for radiation. They found that the Mustang was measurably more radioactive than other fighters, which had not flown for several days. This was taken as evidence that Gorman had flown close to an atomic-powered object. United States Air Force investigators also ruled out the possibility of the lighted object being another aircraft, Canadian vampire jet fighters, or a weather balloon. Their initial conclusion, writes UFO historian Curtis Peebles, was that something remarkable had occurred to Gorman in the skies above Fargo. However, further investigation by Project Sign personnel claimed to identify simpler explanations for the evidence. A plane flying high in the Earth's atmosphere is less shielded from radiation than one at ground level. Thus, the Geiger readers' readings were considered invalid evidence for stating that the lighted object was atomic-powered. In addition, the Air Weather Service revealed that, Octo that on October 1st it had released a lighted weather balloon from Fargo at 8.50 p.m. By 9 p.m., the balloon would have been in the area where Gorman and the Piper Cub passengers first saw the lighted object. 
Project Signs investigators also believe that the incredible movements of the object were due to Gorman's own maneuvers as he chased the light. The object's maneuvers were an illusion brought about by the movements of Gorman's fighter. The investigators also believe that as the weather balloon passed out of sight, Gorman had come to believe that the planet Jupiter was the UFO and therefore he had been chasing the planet as he flew south of Fargo before giving up and returning to land. By early 1949, the Gorman case was labeled by Project Sign and its successors, Project Good, uh, Grudge and Project Blue Book as being caused by a lighted weather balloon. However, these explanations from government sources do not address several facts. Gorman was an experienced combat pilot, highly unlikely to mistake distance and speed of a passively drifting target. He reports nearly blacking out from high-speed turns in its pursuit. At the place and time of the pursuit, the planet Jupiter was below the southwestern horizon, and at, the, and at the time Gorman broke off pursuit, he was chasing the target in a vertical ascent up to 14,500 feet. And here's finally the aftermath. The Gorman dogfight received wide national publicity and helped fuel the wave of UFO, report, real UFO reports in the late 40s. Although some UFO researchers, such as James McDonald and Donald Kehoe, disagreed with the United States Air Force's conclusions and continued to regard the case as unsolved, other UFO researchers agreed with Project Science conclusions in the case. As UFO historian Jerome Clark writes, unlike some Air Force would-be solution, this one seems plausible, and that, in his opinion, after the Mantell incident, the Gorman sighting may be the most overrated UFO report in the early history of the phenomenon. Again, there's just not enough evidence to say it was a weather balloon. Um, uh, and again, if you read his statements, this guy was uh, positive. This is an experienced pilot. He was positive that this thing was intelligently controlled, whatever it was. And again, this is it's funny. They're saying not only this time, unlike the Mantell case, where first they said it was Venus, and then later on they said it was a balloon. Now this one they're saying it's a combination of a balloon and Jupiter. I mean, actually, those explanations to me sound you know much more ridiculous than you know extraterrestrials. But I guess the big the, the the bottom line with this one, I don't think we anybody can really say. I don't think there's enough proof to say one way or the other. I mean, if we're going to be truthful, the Gorman dogfight, right? There's not enough proof to say one thing or another. But the whole point of this is, is that there have been things going on since the 40s. I mean, there were UFOs that showed up over Washington, D.C. in 1952, and, and, and fighters went out chasing them and couldn't keep up, and they were spotted on radar. I mean, there's just been so many things over the years. And these are just a couple of the examples. You know, this one here, the Gorman dogfight, I don't know. Maybe it's extraterrestrial. Maybe it's something else. Who knows? We're never going to know. You know, that's just that one's going to remain a mystery. I think the Mantell one is pretty clear. I think that's, you know, uh, most certainly extraterrestrial. I mean, there's no question in my mind on that one. And then, and then the other one, the, the original one that I, you know, we're, we talked about here with this, uh, <laughs> this uh, you know, pilot that saw these clam-shaped objects with domes on top. I mean, obviously, that, that's not man-made, you know. So, again, this has been going on. A lot of people try to pretend like they act like, oh, this is only, as far as we know, uh, there's been concerns since 2004. That's how it's been made. It's made it sound like it's only been going on since two. No, no, no. This has been going on for decades and decades. And I got to say, if you were to read, uh, I'm going to leave a link for uh, all of these things that I, all the, the, the sources that I, I mentioned here. But I'll also leave a link for uh, UFOs in the National Security State, Volume 1. I, I can't tell people enough how you know that book there that tells you you know gives you a lot of the information a lot of the reports uh, that happened from the 40s and the 50s the 60s 
uh, into the 70s. Uh, that and a lot of the military encounters, you know, it goes over all of that stuff. You know, the military encounters uh, with with unidentified flying objects and how they've been covering it up. You know, how they would come up with you know explanations that really you know a lot of times didn't jibe with with reality. But anyway, uh, yeah, these, these are uh, I I just love reading about these old cases because again, it's it's you know. It's we're, we're 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 it's still going on. It's still happening. It's still happening every day, all the time.